You cannot make it up. Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers suffers a season-ending Achilles injury to shatter the hopes and expectations of a big season. What does this mean for the franchise, the quarterback, the backup quarterback Zach Wilson, the Players Association pining for grass instead of field turf, and the league on a whole as I dive in on the aftermath of this unfortunate circumstance. I'll take a look at the teams that need to rebound in Week 2 and a lackluster Week 3 in college football. An enormous series for the Rays as they invade Baltimore for four games this weekend. The Max Scherzer experiment in Texas goes awry, plus the Mets get their man in the front office. NBA load management, a thing of the past? It sure may look that way as the crackdown has begun to put a halt on players sitting out. I'll explain all the above in great detail as another podcast comes your way. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People, greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. September isn't slowing down as we're already halfway through the month and entering officially the final week of summer. The sports world isn't taking any breathers as there's plenty to uncover over the next hour as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back and I wonder what has happened in the world of sports over the last, what is it, 60 hours or so? Ah, yes. I know it's been a few days, and even if you follow me on social media, you know I've posted a plenty as to what took place there on Monday night, and that's the one thing that, as a sports fan, you can never, ever predict. No matter how old a player may be, no matter how big of a season that everybody is looking forward to, all the expectations, the pomp and circumstance, etc., and then you have the sports gods Every once in a while, rip the heart out of the fans' chests as we've seen there just four plays into the Jet career of a one Aaron Rodgers. And who would have thought that even as he was tackled to the turf and it looked so innocent at first and when he tried to get up and then went back down and rolled on his back, you thought to yourself, what could have possibly happened? It wasn't as if his knee was contorted or his leg looked like it was a la Joe Theismann of yesteryear on a Monday night 
back in 1985. And even after watching the replay, when you see the way the leg was extended from the foot and how even then you had your doubts as to, wow, how serious could that be? But the only injury that you could possibly imagine, it was an Achilles. I know the report there from Lisa Salters was that the Jets say it was an ankle, that it's questionable for his return. And the first thing I thought of was an ankle. It's not as if it was rolled up. It's not as if it was twisted to the point where you really thought that, ugh, maybe it is broken. Maybe it's just a high ankle sprain. No, you didn't see any of that. And then it made you think when you found out what the exact prognosis was, what were the Jets trying to do there as far as not reveal? And I get it. They should have just stayed mum and not come out with a possibility that it could have been an Achilles injury. They could have just said, right now it's undetermined. Because when the report was that the x-rays were negative, and yes, for an ankle, we would totally understand that. But really, that was a bad job, I thought, by the Jets at the time. But when we come to know and find out in the press conference by the coach, Robert Sala, that it doesn't look good, and then officially Tuesday morning when the news came down that he was done for the season, if you're a Jet fan, what more can you say? This has happened twice now in the last 24 years where you had just... The sun, moon, stars to shoot for after that 98 season where they went to an AFC Championship game behind Vinny Testaverde. And then in the first half against the Wingland, in a non-contact play where Vinny Testaverde shatters his Achilles and all of their dreams and hopes and aspirations went out the window. And fast forward a generation later, the same thing happened, but differently because we didn't know what to expect with... Aaron Rodgers, first time wearing that white and green uniform in a regular season game. And for that just to go up in smoke within a matter of minutes, just has the Jet fan crying in their beer and has all the fans that hoped would be a dream season became the ultimate nightmare. And now as we sit to take a lay of the land to really dissect and to massage what has taken place here since that unfortunate incident there on Monday night. And when we start with the quarterback himself, he posted on his Instagram yesterday saying that he will rise yet again. We knew that this was not going to be the end of Aaron Rodgers. There was no way that his NFL career was going to be four snaps and then him being on the MetLife turf to where... That was going to be it. He was going to say sayonara and go off into the sunset. And for Rodgers to know that the long road ahead is going to be arduous, is going to be frustrating, it's going to be, I'm sure at times he's going to probably want to quit. Because at 39 years of age and he's going to turn 40 in December, this isn't an injury that at the age of 25 you could be a little bit more resilient and bounce back. And yes, you could have that hunger and desire But who knows how the body's going to respond to not only the surgery, which a date hasn't been scheduled as of right this second, and the only other person that you could actually think of at close to his age was Kobe Bryant when he shattered his Achilles against the Warriors there in late April of what? I think it was 2013. And we know Kobe is a different animal altogether. The whole mama mentality, we get that. And who knows? I'm sure he's going to pull from that to get whatever inspiration they can get to go through the surgery, rehab, those long, tough days 
of trying to strengthen that leg and strengthen that foot, ankle, Achilles, etc. But this is just a devastating blow to a guy that, as we all know, is going to be a Hall of Famer. And let's face it, he's going to be 40 years old when training camp rolls around. He's going to be in the twilight of his career, even though he's going to be, you would think, 100% by the time we get to this point next year. But there is no guarantee. We know that this is a long rehab where I'm sure 9 to 12 months is going to be what the Jets and their fans hope that it's in that window. But for Rodgers, we would think that he's going to be back better than ever. That remains to be seen. So when we take a look at him, everything looks to be A-OK, at least from a psychological, maybe not so much a spiritual, but even to a certain extent, knowing that he's going to come back, at least you could exhale knowing that he will be on the center at some point, hopefully this time next year. The other thing is with the team. We know that Robert Sala had that look on his face, as you saw there in the second quarter, and even throughout the latter part of the first quarter, as I'm sure the word got down to him that it wasn't an ankle, as was reported by ESPN, or knowing that he's going to have to get an MRI, but it's not going to look good. And you could see that he did not have a poker face, and show the nation that his quarterback wasn't going to come back anytime soon. And the Jets, you know they're not going to throw in the towel, as Salah has said here over the last few days. They're going to go with Zach Wilson, and I'll get to him in a second. But what do you expect the coach, even the front office, to say here after one game, and a game that they pulled out of their rear end? Let's call it as we see it. They were down 13-3. to Zach Wilson came into the fire unexpectedly. I'm sure he had his feet up or was looking at the clipboard, thinking that, all right, I'm going to just learn from the master, soak in as much as I possibly can, and then all of a sudden he gets thrust under center and his world was thrown upside down. As we saw there with the bad interception there to Matt Milano, but he made some plays. Was he great? No. Was he okay? Yes, but they're going to need more than okay from him. And one more time, I'll get to him in a second. But for the team overall, they're going to have to paint this rosy picture And not be so grim to think that their playoff hopes, you can forget about the Super Bowl, but their playoff hopes are still going to be intact. Based on the defense, based on the newfound running game, as you saw there with Brees Hall and ripping those two long runs, especially that 83-yard run. Now, you didn't see that burst that you would expect, and I get it. It's his first game back. Understood he's 100%, but maybe psychologically he's just not there to have that zip, the cuts, And not only that, to have that acceleration where he could take it to the house. And I get it. When you get the ball at the five-yard line and even to go 83 yards, that's still a gigantic run. But we would think as the season goes along with him and Dalvin Cook, if they could both stay healthy and that offensive line could gel, maybe the Jets can do big things. Maybe they could still win that road game in the wildcard round and get to a division round, as a lot of people expect. That would have been the case with Aaron Rodgers performing at quarterback. So I think the team overall, although they're trying to not necessarily masquerade the impending doom of what this regular season could be, and of course the early part of their tough schedule, but how they've gone about it so far is the way you would hope. Is it going to turn out to be a successful season? Of course, we'll have to wait and find out. As far as Zach Wilson, this is his time. The Jet fan is going to finally see, unexpectedly of course, but finally see what they've got in the former number two overall pick. 
And so many people have been trying to throw all these different names out, whether it's Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, even in some circles, Colin Kaepernick. I figure the one guy that I would call or pick up the phone to call would be Indianapolis to see what could they get for Gardner Minshew. And I'm not trying to make Gardner Minshew out to be Don Strzok or even Nick Foles for that matter, as we saw there in Philadelphia when they won their Super Bowl back in 2017. And who knows, maybe where is Nick Foles? That's another guy you could probably throw in the mix too. But two reasons on that. One, give this guy a shot. Maybe now that the pressure is off, knowing that, yes, he's going to have to perform and he's going to have to at least deliver and show that maturity that we didn't see last year, that game in New England where he pretty much threw the entire defense under the bus. But now you would think a year later, it's time for him to rise from the dead and try to show that he is that number two overall pick. And maybe that was a bit of a reach for the Jets to draft Zach Wilson in that spot but now kid the ball is all yours what are you going to do with it we understand that the offense they're going to play it safe and I don't trust Nathaniel Hackett to save my life I get it that he was in Green Bay the time that Aaron Rodgers was there but again that's Aaron Rodgers that's a future Hall of Famer he's going to make even me if I was the offensive coordinator look good but we know they're going to play it safe we know that they're not going to try to put the ball in Zach Wilson's hands as much as they possibly can They're going to try to make him a game manager. Yes, they're going to maybe take some chances depending on the the whereabouts of where the game and the direction of the game may go. But it's not as if they're going to have Wilson drop back 25, 30, 35 times a game to where he's going to be the focal point of that offense. It's going to be the ground game. Yes, he's going to have to make some throws to win some games, of course, but they're not going to rely on his arm or maybe even his decision-making to where, in a big spot, he can implode. Because the backup quarterback is Tim Boyle. Yeah, who? What? There's no way that he's going to be the guy that's going to come in there to save the day. And for those who think Mike White, yes, he did have a couple of moments there over the last two years, but we all know he's in Miami, and even if he was on the Jet team, it's not as if he's going to be a world-beater by any stretch. And when I mentioned Gardner Minshew, yes, he I think would be a better fit than the aforementioned guys, but it's week one. You think these teams are all of a sudden going to package their backup quarterback just to appease the Jets? It's not going to happen. That's like having your starting pitcher go down after the first start and then calling the other 29 teams in Major League Baseball to, hey, can we get your number one starter because we're going to need somebody to plug in for the guy that we just lost. Not going to happen. And I get it that that's the talk show slash debate show slash even podcast shows attack on what to do next, especially with everything, all the hard knocks, everything that I mentioned as far as what this team was expected to do come this year, that right away we have to find the solution and find that answer to plug that guy in to see if we could keep those expectations intact. No way. Give it to Zach Wilson You'll know once and for all whether or not he's going to be your guy moving forward after Rodgers leaves, and you would think after the next two years. And even if Wilson has a Pro Bowl-type year, which is, I'm sure, the Jet fan would sign in blood, he's still going to have to ride the pine or maybe even possibly trade him to get whatever they can back in the process. 
Because we all know it's going to be number eight job when he returns, you would think, come next fall. So that's the situation with Wilson. I thought it was wise for them to go ahead with him and not even deal with the trade rumors or even to try to get somebody from the scrap heap. Kudos to them for not going that route. And now as far as the league on a whole, this was a tremendous hit no matter how you slice it. Because you have a game that's 425 in Dallas this week. It does not have the same appeal that it would have had if Rodgers was under center. What about the Sunday night game in three weeks or two and a half weeks when the Chiefs come to town, Rodgers and Mahomes doesn't have the same sex appeal. Or even when the Eagles come to town or the Black Friday game, which could be flexed out, but the Black Friday game against the Dolphins or any of the other games down the road, uh-uh. Without Rodgers there, it destroys that night, that afternoon, that schedule for that particular time slot to have Rodgers be a part of the mix against whomever that opponent would be. And if you think that that's too crazy, do you think that's a little bit of a reach by me saying that? Then guess again. We all know that the quarterbacks drive this league and Rodgers is one of your top guns. So for the lead to think that, well, life moves on. Hopefully the Jets have a big season. But when you get later on, when the Jets play Cleveland on a Thursday night or when they have to go on that Black Friday game as a standalone game, and let's say the Jets are, I don't know what week that is, but let's say they're what, five and six? Is that really going to be a game that a lot of people are going to wrap their arms around having their leftover turkey or going online all morning for their Black Friday shopping? I don't think so. So that's what you have there with the league and then with the whole situation regarding teams pining, especially the Players Association with Lloyd Howell, the new executive director, how he's gone around the league and the players would prefer to have grass than field turf. Well, these injuries, whether it's on concrete, field turf, grass, it doesn't matter because I would think that injury could happen on grass as well. I know in the past that M&T Bank, where the Ravens play, they've had the field turf, and I believe they switched over the last couple of years to grass, and J.K. Dobbins blew out his Achilles. There isn't any blowback or any reverberating consequences when it comes to Dobbins having that injury on grass. And many years ago, I understand, it was a generation where Dan Marino blew out his Achilles. Granted, it was on that old municipal stadium turf in Cleveland, But when he planted and threw that pass there in Cleveland, nobody griped about, oh, well, because it was on grass. And I don't know what type of day it was. I remember it was sunny. I don't know if it was, and it was in October. So it wasn't a frozen tundra or an icy surface, snowy surface, etc. So this could have happened anywhere. So for the league to make this rash judgment to think that, oh, let's put grass. And to be honest, I'm for it. I would love for all the stadiums to have grass. Now, it's impossible to have it in a dome stadium. What are you going to do about New Orleans? Whereas we know it's covered in a dome. And I understand that you have some surfaces, whether Arizona, where they have that retractable turf, where they could pull that out and at least they could get some sun and you could water it. And a few other stadiums that have that capability. Dallas, for instance. But still, they're not going to do it because it costs too much to maintain the upkeep, and not only that, but to resod 
a surface over the course of a 17-game season, the owners aren't going to sell out for that. Now, of course, they got more money than God, and they could burn hundreds in their fireplace, but no, they don't want to spend the money on the grass because we'll just have the one surface throughout the whole year. To me, you want to have player safety? Start with the grass, but they're not going to do it, so you can forget about that. But this is just a big blow to the Jets, to the league, and no matter how you slice it, I don't care. Even if the Jets are 10-1 and under Zach Wilson, I'm sure the average fan and even the dine-wool NFL fan would rather see Aaron Rodgers in his first year out of Green Bay in a Jet uniform with everything leading up to what happened there Monday night. They'd rather see him than Zach Wilson, even if they do have a successful season. And then lastly, you would think this Jet team is going to use this to rally the troops and respond. And as I mentioned, even a couple of weeks prior to the NFL preview and prior to me even waxing poetic about Rodgers and his impact that he would have with this organization, the AFC, etc. The one thing that this team has, now no it's not what DJ Reed said as far as them being compared to the 85 Bears, but they do have a very good defense. A top five, maybe even a top three defense. If they play what everybody's expecting them to play, they could still have that big season. Now, not to compare them to the 85 Bears or the 2000 Ravens or even the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but if they could remain healthy, have that season, and have the ground game that could be just a linchpin for their offense and not have to put the onus on the quarterback, they could have the year that a lot of people thought they would have, which is make the postseason, maybe win a wild card game, and then fizzle out, I don't want to say fizzle, but lose in the divisional round. I'm sure if you're a Jet fan right now, you would sign up for that in blood. But as we all know, you still have 16 more games, a tough first leg of the schedule, and all you could do is just watch, see how this is all going to unfold, and where this team will end up come week 17, whether that means they're on the cusp, whether that means they're already locked in, or another lost season for the New York Jets. And before I get to week two and the teams that need to rebound, a couple of things revolving my beloved Steelers. And as we all know, that was a disaster there against the Niners on Sunday, but I have to throw this in the mix. It could probably get worse because you're not going to have your defensive anchor on that line, Cam Hayward, as he's going to be out for several weeks with a groin. And on the offensive side of the ball, the same goes for Deontay Johnson. Yes, he's not the key factor of that offense. We all know it's the quarterback. And he's going to have to play better. But Johnson, their big target, he's also going to be out several weeks with a hamstring as we saw him crumble to the turf there in the second half. So the Steelers will have a huge game. And I'll segue that to the Week 2 schedule. They are one of the teams that need to rebound in the worst way because... They could only play a lot better than they did there Sunday against the Niners. And think about this. You have both Pittsburgh and Cincinnati that had putrid performances there on Sunday. And both have division games in their building that need to rebound in the worst way. Why? Especially for the Bengals because they do not want to go 0-2 to start off the year, which they did last year. And even though they came back and made it to the AFC title game, 
But if the Bengals were to lose, they'll already be 0-2 in the division. Where the Steelers, they'll host Cleveland on Monday night in a doubleheader. They don't want to go 0-2 and of course go 0-1 in the division at home against their rivals just two hours outside of the state lines there from Pennsylvania to Ohio. And Cincinnati will host the Ravens as Baltimore comes into their building. So those are two teams that certainly need to get back in the win column. If that's the case, everyone in the division will be 1-1 one and one, and then we could take it from there. So those are the two games that I'm going to look at to start off this week. Baltimore at Cincinnati and then Cleveland at Pittsburgh late there Monday night as the 8-15 matchup will be the double dip there, ESPN-ABC. I also think the Giants, they need to rebound in the worst way after that just god-awful, avert-your-eyes performance there on Sunday night against the Cowboys. And I think they're going to respond because out of the Bengals, Steelers, and Giants, which happened to be my three losers of last week, they're the one team that could go up because they have to go to Arizona to play the Cardinal team, who did play well and fought hard with Josh Dobbs as their quarterback, but came out on the losing end against the Commanders there on Sunday. But if you're a Giant fan, you could only go but up, and I think that they will bounce back and have a more complete performance. Not to say they're going to be dominant from start to finish, but I would think that they will rise from the ashes of that disaster there Sunday night at MetLife and at least get back in the win column to beat an Arizona Cardinal team, which as we all know, could probably be the worst in the sport. But as we take a look at the schedule, your Thursday night game matchup tonight, Minnesota at Philadelphia, which was also the same matchup last year, week two, I believe, where the Eagles won 24-7 and Kirk Cousins had three turnovers in the game or three interceptions. He may have had more turnovers. And Minnesota, certainly no expectations after what happened there, losing to the Buccaneers on Sunday. Let's see if they can rebound, but chances are they won't with the Eagles having their home opener after their big season last year. And overall with the schedule here Sunday, I'm not in love with the Sunday night game Miami at New England. Now New England has their first two games at home and you would think that they're going to want to play well. You could talk about them being a team that would need to rebound after losing to the Eagles there on Sunday, but the Patriots aren't expected to do big things this year. So, yes, although they would like to get in the win column, and Miami, second of two road games as they won in L.A. against the Chargers on Sunday. But I'm not in love with that game. I I understand they got to give New England some shine, but not in love with that. Your 425 Sunday Jets-Cowboys, as I mentioned before, certainly not the same matchup that we would have hoped if Rodgers was playing. Of course, Giants and Arizona is your 425, or it's a 405 game. The Niners, back-to-back road games themselves. They go to L.A. That is also your late cap. Your 1 o'clock games, Kansas City at Jacksonville, I would think is your highlight game based on Kansas City losing last Thursday night and Jacksonville winning. So you know it's going to be hot down there in Jacksonville. The humidity is going to be high. Jacksonville is going to wear white, so the Chiefs will wear their red. I get it to have that psychological advantage to wear the darker color. And not that red is that dark. It's not as if they're they're wearing a black jersey. But whatever Jacksonville could get from an advantageous point, we understand. And then you have the other games to round out. Baltimore-Cincinnati, as we discussed. Can Vegas go 2-0 after Buffalo losing there the other night? And that was a tough loss. Josh Allen, I understand, probably 
gave the Jets that win more so than the Jets winning, but they did have to return a punt to win the game in overtime. But understood, Josh Allen certainly has to turn his fortunes around because he has not played well going back to last year when he gave up a lot of turnovers. And I understand he's still throwing his body out there, taking shots. But we understand that's his DNA. He's going to try to get first downs. He's going to try to sacrifice his body for the greater good. And I understand that's not a good thing long term, but that's how he's going to play where you saw Sean McDermott, the coach, point to his head to say play smart. Chicago at Tampa Bay, Chargers in Tennessee, Green Bay at Atlanta, which doesn't look too bad right now. Both teams want to know and can Jordan Love continue his success from week one. Washington at Denver. And then you have Monday night, Saints at Panthers, 7-15, followed by Cleveland at Pittsburgh. I would think Buck and Aitman will be in Pittsburgh for that game. And that rounds out your week two schedule. I'm not in love with the Monday doubleheader games. Can we spare those? And you're going to have a couple of those throughout the course of the year. In fact, I think there's four total. Why? The NFL doesn't need to do this. Have your typical Monday standalone game. I can understand why they did it for the opening week. Because you want to capitalize on the 7:15 and the 10:30 window to have the West Coast game, the latter game, and then the 7 o'clock be your East Coast matchup. All right, I can understand that for one week. But now you're going to do this over multiple weeks? Another reason why the NFL are just slobs for the money that they just want to get the cash. Not that the league needs it by any stretch, but this is one of the reasons why I'm down on the NFL. We don't need to spread the... Competition, we don't need to spread these games thin to where we have to appease and feed all these networks. And I get it. They're paying them in upwards of $2 billion to broadcast these games. So for them to say, we want this game at this time, we want this network to broadcast this game, understood. But ugh, they're just pigs and just hogs just trying to maximize, which they don't need to because as we all know, the NFL and their content is king. And to have them over a million networks at a million different time frames is, in my eyes, completely unnecessary. As for the college football, you got nothing this week. Now, next week, you have some very intriguing matchups. But for week three, there isn't anything to write home about. I know we like to look at the primetime game. And yes, we can look at the 12 noon, those windows of 12, 3.30, 7, 7.30, etc., But you do not have anything that is even worth watching. Why does ABC have Pittsburgh at West Virginia is beyond me. But when we take a look at some of these matchups, Wyoming at Texas, Oregon hosting Hawaii, and that's later on. Your early matchups, Western Kentucky at Ohio State, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama at South Florida. We have Penn State, Illinois, Florida State, Boston College, LSU, Mississippi State. Yeah, these are games that you would think they're going to be blowouts and that at least that's one day on a college football weekend that you could bypass and get into other things. Now, one more time, the following week, you really have a lot to chew on. And also Colorado State and Colorado, we know Dion being the big story that he is and wondering if that's going to be a trap game considering they have Oregon and USC on the horizon. And as I mentioned, the following week, from this coming Saturday is going to be quite a few that's on the docket, including that Oregon and Colorado game. You have UCLA and Utah, just to take a quick peek at that. Florida State-Clemson, remember, that's going to be 
if Clemson has any chance, and they're out of the top 25 as it is to begin with, but that's going to be a litmus test for the Seminoles to go in to see what they could do against Clemson. Ole Miss, Alabama. So you have some games next week that we could certainly look at, dissect, and analyze come the following Monday's podcast. But this week, you got zero. Now as I take off the helmet and shoulder pads and put on the cleats, get in the batter's box and talk some baseball, and what we've had here over the last few days, the big story being Max Scherzer out for the rest of the regular season with this triceps injury, and based on what I've read, or even heard I should say, is that the reason why this injury cropped up is because he's trying to alleviate any pressure that's on the forearm. And with Scherzer, we've seen this last year where he had that issue with his lat, his, I believe it was his left side, which was an issue. And now this year you have an arm injury where he's going to be done for the regular season and the postseason is definitely in doubt. And that is going to be a huge blow for a Ranger team that is fighting, scratching, and clawing to whether make it as a wild card or even as a divisional winner. And we know their road ahead Seven of those final ten games against the Mariners, which will probably be for whether a division or even for a wild card spot for that matter. But without Scherzer, and knowing that DeGrom has been long gone from the equation as far as their starting rotation, and Scherzer that they brought in right before the deadline, thinking that he would be that guy, that anchor to carry them into October and beyond, you can forget about it. Now, who knows? He may show up in October to pitch a game one in a wild card if they do make it that far, but there is no guarantee that Scherzer is going to toe the rubber if the Rangers do make it into the postseason. And I tell you, if you're a Ranger fan, the 15 of you out there outside of Texas, I'm sure you got to be stewing, wondering where the season has gone, considering you were in first place for about four months and these last few weeks, although they have played better, And beating Toronto, which is good for you guys because you have a tiebreaker advantage over the Blue Jays if you happen to tie at the end of the regular season. Remember, there's no game 163. So that does bode well for the Rangers in that regard. But we know that they have a lot of work ahead of them and not having their ace that they've imported from New York just a month and change ago is certainly a huge blow for any chance of them not only getting to October, but having that deep postseason run. So that is story number one. The other story, and more of a front office deal, is the Mets getting their guy, bringing in David Stearns, who is from Flushing, grew up as a Mets fan, 38 years of age, is now handed the keys to be the VP of Baseball Operations. And when we get to the end of the year, and to really dissect what the Mets and their plans for the offseason, I'll get to that, including Pete Alonso, which I will say this right now. The Mets would be just beyond stupid if they don't extend them this offseason. I'll just leave it at that. I'll wait until we get to the first week of October when we preview the wildcard series. But having Stearns in the fold now will have a better outlook on what this team will be moving forward. The GM, chances are he may come back in a one Billy Epler, although it's not handpicked by the VP of Baseball Ops. But then you also have Buck Showalter, who I think will not be back. And I think that'll be a meeting of the minds where Showalter will go into his last year. And I understand now I'm getting into the offseason stuff. But a lot of work ahead for David Stearns. 
The year that was supposed to be for the Mets certainly bottomed out halfway through June as we saw all the trades there in late July and right at the deadline in August. So with Stearns now out of Milwaukee and part of the fold here with the Mets, let's see what he does. I think it's a move that was a no-brainer. Probably the worst kept secret when you think about it considering the connection Stearns has with Queens, the boyhood team that he grew up watching, etc. So... Once we get past this regular season and into the offseason, we shall see how this is all going to take place there as the Mets try to rebuild and maybe even retool to see if they could get back to some respectability after just a disastrous season in Queens. And as we look at the recent playoff picture, an enormous series that's going to take place in Baltimore this weekend, starting today where you have Tampa going to Baltimore And this is do or die for the Rays. If they want to overtake the Orioles, minimum they have to win three games. But if they really want to get this down to the wire, they would need to sweep, which is going to be, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but we certainly do not expect that to happen as the Orioles. All they need to do is win one game. If they win two, no harm, no foul. They'll go ahead and win the division because as it's currently constituted, the Orioles have a two-game Leading the division, three in the loss. So again, if the Rays win three out of four, they will, in essence, pick up two games, although there'll be a half game behind them, or percentage points, because the Orioles will have that advantage. But if they really want to do some damage, sweep them. And that would be a statement for the Rays to do that this late in the year. But we'll keep an eye on what's going to happen with those two teams as they face off against one another this weekend. And before I even break down the rest of the playoff picture, as far as schedules this weekend, besides that, and that's the monster series of the next three to four days, but you have Atlanta going to Miami, which is going to be huge to see if Miami could keep pace and try to get themselves in that wild card race, which they are in now, but the Braves are their kryptonite. They have owned the Marlins throughout the last several years. And even with Atlanta winning the division last night in Philadelphia, I'm sure they're going to take pedal off the metal, but even with a skeleton crew of a team, you would think that the Braves will still prevail, and this could be a do-or-die weekend for the... Now Miami's just a half game back, as we've talked about this battle royale between the Reds, Diamondbacks, Giants, and Marlins. And with the Diamondbacks losing the last two games at City Field against the Mets, They have got themselves in a flat-footed tie with the Reds for the final playoff spot with the Giants and Marlins. And think about it. All four of those teams have the same amount of losses at 71. Just the Reds and Diamondbacks have one more win. So with the Giants and Marlins with a game in hand, having to make that up along the way, that could possibly bode well for those teams provided that they continue to make this playoff push there in the National League. But for the remainder of the schedule... The Giants go to Colorado for four games starting tonight where they just swept the Rockies in San Francisco last weekend. So let's see if that could be a boon for the Giants as they try to get in through the back door. Miami, they play their final game against Milwaukee. I have to throw that in there before they come home to play the Braves over the weekend. So they do have one more game before coming back home to play the NL East champion Braves. Cincinnati will conclude their series against the Tigers today before going to City Field this weekend. So we'll get to see what the Reds are up close and personal as they try to fight there in the NL wildcard mix. 
And then you also have the Diamondbacks who will leave town after their 4-10 game against the Mets today and head back home to play the Cubs, which will be a big series. Now we know the Cubs and the Phillies should be in good stead as far as the NL wildcard 4-5 and seeds go. But now we'll get to see what the bottom rung will look like, especially after this weekend when we recap it all there on Monday. And then as far as the American League, we know about the AL West, which is always going to be a topsy-turvy smackdown probably to the very end as we've discussed here over the last few weeks. The Astros were able to get back in the win column after losing to the A's at home. And we talked about how the Astros have not played well at home the entire year. But with their win, they keep themselves one game ahead of the Rangers, a game and a half ahead of the Mariners there for the AL West. And the Rangers, who, like I mentioned, they played well. They've beaten the Blue Jays here three straight. And I believe they conclude their series in Toronto later today. But for the wild card, we all know that it's going to be Tampa unless they overtake the Orioles when it's all said and done. I don't think that's going to be the case. But you have Texas, half game ahead of the Mariners, who the Mariners are a game ahead of the Blue Jays there for the three teams playing for those two spots. And we talked about what's happening there with the National League. I think when it's all said and done, Toronto, they have a lot of games there. With the AL East, they still have the Rays. They have to play the Yankees six times. And I know the Yankees have played better here of late. So I think it's going to be tough sledding for them. They're going to have to get hot, quick, fast, in a hurry. I think both Seattle and Texas will make it. Although Seattle and Texas, who knows? One of those two teams can knock each other out based on those seven games in the last 10 days of the season. And maybe Toronto could capitalize if they play relatively well. Maybe they could sneak in. But... I think Toronto, with a tough schedule, and even with those matchups there to conclude the season with Seattle and Texas, I still think they'll find a way to get in, and Toronto will be on the outside looking in. And the National League, to me, it's a coin flip. One day it could be the Reds, one day it's the Diamondbacks, when the Marlins are playing well, and they had the final seed. And who knows, maybe the Giants, when it's all said and done, will get that final spot. And I think for baseball, maybe they'd rather see the Giants, because... Baseball fans and even regular sports fans know the San Francisco Giants more so than the Reds, Marlins, or Diamondbacks, but we shall see. We're two and a half weeks away from the end of the regular season. You know I'm going to be all over this as this will continue to play out in front of our eyes as we get toward the end of the regular season. And finally, one last thing before I bid adieu as I lace up the high tops and go to the hardwood for the NBA, and some good news has come down by the league, the Board of Governors, trying to crack down on the load management that has taken place here over the last decade plus, and a lot of that was start by Greg Popovich many years ago, when the Spurs had Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and even to a certain extent Ka- Kawhi Leonard early on in his career, when he would rest these guys on back-to-backs or especially on the Thursday night TNT or the Friday night ESPN game or even maybe the Sunday or Saturday showcase there by ABC to where he would sit out these guys games at a time and talked about how he wanted to keep his team fresh because it was all about the playoffs, the long grind of a regular season, etc. Well, now they've tried to figure it out and will start to lay down the law here when it comes to players missing games or multiple All-Stars missing games, especially 
in that primetime window or the big NBA night, whether it is a Tuesday night, Thursday night, whenever those games are on the cable networks. But for now, you're not going to see the star player. And I'll just throw an example. If the Celtics have both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown out, they have to be out for a significant reason. Whether they're severely injured, hurt, whatever. Not that they have knee soreness and they can't play on a back-to-back. That's not going to fly. Because teams that do that, their first offense, they're going to get fined $100,000. Second offense, $250,000. And could go up to a cool mill based on each additional fine and more teams that want to have their players take a night off or to have them cool off because they are unable to play because of hangnail, that's not going to happen. And I love that the NBA is going to do this because, let's face it, I get it, it's a different era, different breed even, and different time. But when you go back to yesteryear, and I'll even go as early as 25 years ago, and I know people can say, Jay Reels, that's still a generation. It's not as if you're going back in the last 10 years or even 15, 20 for that matter. But this one, I like to bring up because when we talk about players that we love to watch, and all right, let's talk about Kobe Bryant. Did he like missing games? Was load management even a part of his vernacular? I'm sure those words in one sentence under Kobe Bryant never even existed. So we could talk about Kobe and we could say it was a different breed, mama mentality. Well, you're under contract. You're obligated to play. You should be if you're healthy and not because, oh, my knees are hurting tonight. Uh, I got to take the night off. Uh Uh-uh. Tough. But to go back 25 years ago, when the second three-peat of the Chicago Bulls, that three-year stretch where the Bulls played 304 games, How many of those games did Michael Jordan miss? 304. So that's regular season, postseason, and of course, NBA Finals. Add them all up. 304. How many of those games did Michael Jordan miss? A big, fat donut. Zero. And we can talk about MJ. We can talk about, oh, well, those Bulls were iconic and dominant. Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Tony Kukoc, etc. I... Don't want to hear it. If you're healthy, you should play. I understand you want to have a minutes restriction or do something like that where you can't bang for 38, 40 minutes on a back-to-back or even if it's the only time that the team is in that city, that town where people are dishing out big-time money to watch these players perform and Anthony Davis on a back-to-back, Brooklyn and New York is not going to play in Brooklyn so he's going to save for the Garden. Nonsense. That's where the NBA says no more and good for them because all it's doing is hurting their sport and I don't want to hear about, oh, we're trying to preserve them for the long run. If guys like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, and I understand they're a different breed, but still, they're basketball players when it's all said and done. And if these guys of the past were able to do it and would frown upon and look down at the player, come on, this is your contractual right to suit up and perform if you're healthy? If you're not healthy, if you have a broken foot or a fractured ankle or your hamstring tore from the bone, I get it. No ifs, ands, buts, maybe it's about it. But, oh, I have a sore back. Or, oh, my knee's not responding today because I have to ice it more. 
Go out there and play. That's all there is to it. So, I'm glad that they're going to start doing that because the league, as we all know, needs their players to play for a regular season, as we know is a slog. And now with this in-season tournament that they're going to have from November to December, how they're not going to be able to take nights off there, which I like. And then as you get deep into the season, past the All-Star break, once the NFL season is gone, you want to have your players playing in those marquee matchups on TNT, ESPN, etc. So, zero excuses. Now the fines are put in place. If you disobey the first time around, $100,000, $250,000 the second time, and so on. I love it. I'm glad they're doing it. And tough for the player. You sign up for a reason, and it's not to play 55 games a year and then get ready for a postseason. So, kudos to the NBA for doing that. That will conclude it, my people. Nothing else going on. Hockey, I know that the training camps have opened up, so we're going to have a season there October the 7th. And pretty much, that's what I got. So, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for carving out a few minutes out of your precious day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review. Throw me a few stars, write a review on your favorite podcast platform. I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, suggestion, you could do so at the following. On my YouTube channel, at J Reels. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. Twitter or X, JReels1, just a number, or the old-fashioned way, the Podcast at gmail.com. Please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is why I love to talk about people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. As I like to say, sports was every fiber of my being. Passion, fire, fury, energy. With my thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>